Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, today is a day of remembrance. It's an important day, uh, an anniversary, if you will. I'm talking, of course, about July 4th, 2018, three years ago. Uh, some of you may remember this if you're, you're new here at the church. Maybe you have not heard about this yet, but um, something happened which changed my life and taught me an important lesson. It was July 4th on a kind of rainy weekend, much like this one. And uh, it was kind of in the afternoon, and, and I was getting kind of restless at the house, and so decided to go for a walk. Uh, and so I told my, my beautiful wife, Lindsay, hey, I'm heading out on a walk. I'll be back later. And she said, be safe. And instead of appreciating the fact that I've got a wife who loves me and cares about me and is concerned for my well-being, I took it as an opportunity to make fun of her and make a, a sarcastic comment and try to be funny. Husbands, you're with me. And I go, Thanks for, thanks for your well wishes. I've been walking since I was like two, and I'm getting pretty good at it, so I think, I think I'll be okay. And so with that statement, I sealed my fate. And about 30 minutes later, and a mile and a half away from the house, I took a step in some mud, and I went down hard and scraped off all the skin off of my left knee, and I'm laying in a bloodied mess and not able, not sure if I'm, I'm going to be able to get home and definitely not sure if I'm going to be able to face my wife again and, and contemplating what would be worse, just to lay here and starve to death or have to call for help. And eventually I picked up my phone and I called Lindsay. I said, I'm okay, but I might need a ride. And let me tell you, the, if you've never heard laughter like the kind of laughter that I received here. It's a lot like that, but just a lot louder and more sustained. I learned a lesson that day. We all learn lessons in life. And, and even though I had been walking since I was two, it's always useful to be reminded that you should be careful. There, there are ways to improve your technique if you would. This morning in, in Colossians, we'll, we'll find some instructions for Christian living, for the type of lives we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. And it's useful for us, whether we just started walking, whether we just started following Jesus, or whether we've been doing it for a long time, there's still things to be concerned about, there's still things to be careful about, there's still ways to improve. And so if you have a Bible, open up with me to Colossians chapter 3. We will finish out kind of a three-week section we've spent looking at a passage here in chapter 3 from verse 1 through 17. Very beautiful, I think, very profound passage of Scripture here in the book of Colossians, which we have been walking through for the past eight weeks. Verses 1 through 17, we've already looked in the past two weeks, verses 1 through 4, at our identity in Christ, where Paul centers this instruction. And then last week with verses 5 through 11, we saw Paul's instructions on things to not do, on things to kill, the sin in our life to kill, the the bad um, habits and and evil ways of our old life that that we are to be walking away from. And and now this morning, we kind of get to the payoff. We get to this beautiful passage of of the positive aspect of what should we be doing. If if we're not going to be a people or a community like this, what type of people and what type of community 
should we be? And these are the instructions we find in verses 12 through 17. But so they're being situated all in the larger context. Let's read together from verse 1, and then we'll unpack a little more closely verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here we have the the central kind of image and metaphor that Paul developed last week continue to play out. He says the transformation that takes place in the life of Christians is, is akin to taking off an old wardrobe, an old life and its practices and attitudes and, and habits and actions and, and putting on a new wardrobe, the, the right outfit. One that reflects Jesus the Messiah and that comes with its own corresponding set of actions and attitudes, behaviors, and patterns. It's likely Paul is alluding here to an early Christian baptismal practice where you would actually take off your old clothes, symbolizing your old life, and, and after getting into and out of the baptismal waters, you'd be given a white robe, symbolizing Christ's righteousness, your new life with Christ. Again, as chapter 3 began with, you've died with Christ, you've been buried with him, you've been raised with him, you are now united with Christ. And just as we were told to kill certain things in our life and to put off certain things in our life, now we're told it's really part of an exchange. You're not just taking things off. You're you're swapping things in and out. You're taking some things off and putting other things on. You're taking some 
actions and attitudes and dispositions and habits out of your life, and you're putting in other ones. And the, the acid test, I think, for what Paul is teaching here, and whether it's something that just on a surface level would be desirable for us, would be this question. When you look at the, the vice list in verse 5, verse 8, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And then you compare that to the virtue list you find here in, in verse 12 that's supposed to characterize God's people, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If, if, if the question was posed to you, there's two towns. One is characterized by the actions and attitudes in verse 5 and verse 8. Immorality, impurity, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, slander, lying. Or another town which is characterized by people who have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Which would you choose to live in? Which would you want to be a part of? Which would you want to raise your kids up in? Which would you want to influence you in, in your own life, and your experience? There might be some cynics out there or, or people who might want to say something smart. I think that at the end of the day, all of us, if we're being honest, would say it's a pretty obvious choice here. One of these groups seems like this is where life could be found. The other one seems like a recipe for disaster. Just, just a, a bunch of situations thrown together that could cause serious harm and destruction, could kill and destroy. You see, Christ has come to give us life, and even the, the ethical instructions that we receive in the Scriptures are there to bring us further into that life. While the clothing we're putting on We've got these five things listed in verse 12 as are not necessarily the exact opposites of the things we've been told to take off. There is kind of a pattern here, I think, that we can find, that we can see. You see, what, what's characterized by the, the vices we're putting to death and, and taking off as Christians is a life of self-asserting, self-seeking, self-aggrandizing behavior, which inevitably harms others and destroys relationships. The, the life characterized by verse 12 through 17 here is a life of, of graciousness and self-giving and humility, which always intends for the good and the wholeness and the healing of others. The attitudes, the dispositions called for here are kind of diametrically opposed in their orientation towards other people. Notice it, it takes a community for these things to be lived out. There, there perhaps is something to be said about having compassion for yourself, but often that only really gets borne out in relationships with other people. Most of the things mentioned here really only can happen in relationships with other people. Paul's giving instructions to a community of believers who are trying to learn how to live and worship and grow together. Our lives as people, we're never meant to be lived in isolation. Our lives as Christians were never meant to be lived in isolation, rather in communities of thanksgiving and forgiveness. Notice the repetition you find here in these verses. Three times forgiveness is mentioned. I don't think that's an accident. 
If you're going to have a community, if you're going to have relationships that flourish and provide life for people, you're going to have to learn to forgive one another. It's mentioned three times, perhaps, to match the density of how often we'll have to forgive one another and how committed God is to it. The same with thankfulness. In verses 15 through 17, three times, and be thankful, he says. Singing songs in the Spirit with gratitude. And doing everything in word or deed with thankfulness. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice also that these these character traits, these virtues, they also embody the life of Christ, who himself and his life and his teachings embodied the will of God, the, the character of God. There is an interesting parallel to a very important Old Testament passage in Exodus 32 through 34, where we, we get kind of God's self-declaration about his identity and, and his kind of virtue list, if you will. There's kind of a pattern that gets followed here that's established in that narrative. In Exodus 32 to 34, if you're not familiar with the story, I mean, the very short Cliff Notes version of it is the Israelites sin, and God judges, Moses intercedes for the Israelites, and then God forgives. And then God, in this self-declaration, says this. He says, I am a God of mercy and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiving. The life we're called to live as Christians is a life that reflects the very nature and identity of the creator of the universe. Which is why in verse verse 10, we're we're told what's happening is is we're being renewed in our knowledge after the image of our creator. And it's, it's also a life that's supposed to reflect and, and mirror back the life of Christ and, and his desires for his people laid out in his teachings and in the Gospels. The way of life in Christ takes as its center point, its compass, its north star, God's own compassion, his own kindness. A tendency it a bias towards refraining from acting irritably, from self-seeking vengeance, from living out of a desire to hurt or harm others. I don't think Paul is just trying to, to have us be nice people here. That's certainly maybe a part of it. This is a completely different way to live. This is an alternative society. This is a different body politic. Again, Think of how this would work itself out in communities. First as individuals, then maybe in family groups, and then in cities. What if you had two different nations, one who was living this old life and one living this new life, transformed by the power of the Spirit? The call to be baptized, the call to follow Jesus, is nothing else but a call to enter into a completely new community to pledge your allegiance now to a new Lord and to learn over time through ritual and habit, mentorship and friendship, a new way of living and a new way of relating and a new way of acting and a new way of thinking and a new way of feeling where that brings and sustains life. 
Like elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul then centers love above all else. He says, above all these other things, hold on to love. It's reminiscent of 1 Corinthians 13, where after talking about all these different virtues and, and spiritual gifts, Paul says, but if I have, don't have love, it's, it's all worthless. Love is, is at the center, at the top of all of this. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John says, this is what my disciples should be known for, by their, their love. It's almost as if, to use this clothing metaphor, Paul's imagining love as like the crown that, that completes the outfit, or the hat that makes it all come together, or the belt, right, that ties it all. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this verse, says, if all us fails, just remember love. Paul starts with some, some kind of dispositions and attitudes and then gives us some more practical, actionable things. Forgiving one another. Loving one another. He says, let the peace of Christ rule among you. Rule in your hearts. This is an interesting phrase. You don't really find this elsewhere in the New Testament. The Greek word here for rule is, is the same word that would have been used in like sporting, Olympics, like judging, like, a, like an umpire in baseball. The idea seems to be here that, that Christians should, should let the peace of Christ and his desire for his people to live in unity and to share his peace be the, the kind of law that they look to when it comes to organizing their relationships and their community, when it comes to, to making judgments between certain things and, and certain decisions and certain behaviors. It's an interesting way to, to think about life or to think about an organization or, or even think about a church, to, to let the peace of Christ rule. For that to be the, the arbiter, for that to be the judge. We look to Christ and his desires outside of ourselves and outside of our own ideas, for it holds us together and guides us into the future. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The teachings of Jesus that are given to us through the Gospels, the Scriptures themselves. He says, let that, let that dwell among you. Soak that in. Teach it to one another. Admonish one another. And as you're doing that, you, you might find that you'll break out in some songs. And we've got a songbook. And we've got a spirit who gives us songs. And communities are built up, I think, as they sing together. Not at one another, but besides one another, to the Lord. And in all these things, he says, be thankful, be grateful people. Again, I think this is a little bit more of an action than sometimes we take it when we're reading the scriptures. For instance, in the Psalms, when we're told to, to give thanks to the Lord, I think we naturally, just because of our, our kind of philosophical, cultural environment, we think of that as like it like just creates some feeling inside of us of gratitude. When in like its historical, liturgical context, it's much more likely that's an instruction to the congregation. Like give thanks to the Lord. Like do it now. Say something. Name a blessing. It's something to do. It's something to, to participate in. It's, it's an, a little action to take not just a feeling to try to conjure up. Forgiveness, thanksgiving, both repeated three times. 
these seem to be hallmarks of, of what this new life in Christ is supposed to, to look like. There is a field of science called epigenetics. And what's been discovered over time, it's still being worked out. There's still a lot we don't know about the human body and about how things work or don't work. But, but we have discovered this, that all of us, right, we receive genetic material from our parents. We have this DNA. And, and for a while, it was, it was kind of assumed, right, that that DNA holds the instructions for what will happen to our bodies. And it's kind of predetermined. It's almost like a ticking clock, right? At a certain point, it's going to turn on and this is going to happen. You're going to get your mom or dad's nose. You're going to grow to this height or that height. You perhaps might get this disease that runs in the family. But what we found out was, was kind of surprising to scientists at the time was that it's actually not exactly the way that DNA and genetics work. The field of epigenetics is an exploration of how our environment and our behavior actually affect our genetic material. And so what happens is we do receive these genes from our parents, but they can be turned on, activated, expressed by things we do or by things that happen to us in our environment, things we encounter, things that come into our body. They can also be turned off. This is both a little surprising to scientists and also a little freeing, right? Like if... if if in your family history is a predisposition for addiction or certain diseases or, or cancers, things like that, we now know that there's, there's other things at play here. Depending on the environment you're in, the behaviors you participate in, you have some say-so or how your identity is going to be expressed. I think something like this is perhaps... Perhaps what, what Paul is trying to get at with this put-off language and put-on language. For Christians, Paul seems to be sure of this. Your truest identity is in Christ. Your union with Christ. Whether you act like it or don't act like it, whether you feel like it or don't feel like it, it's the truest thing about you. But your environment and your behavior perhaps has something to do with what type of life starts to get expressed, starts to come out of you, starts to influence and impact the people around you. The wrong environment and the wrong behaviors perhaps lead to this old identity, this old life becoming more and more prevalent. But the right environment worship and gratitude and forgiveness and community and scripture, the right behaviors of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Perhaps that results in the activation, the, the expression of our true identity in Christ. We start to truly be renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. And so we, we asked last week, how can we do this? I mean, how can we kill sin? How can we take off this old waves? And we, we suggested a couple of things. I'll ask that question again this morning. How, how can we put on, how can we clothe ourselves with things like compassion and kindness and humility 
and gentleness and patience. I suggest that that it's going to take some thoughtful reflection about who we are and about our lives and about the things we might be likely or unlikely to encounter. Most of the time, I think when it comes to applying things in the scriptures, while while there are some things that maybe are broad spectrum and, and apply to most people, the real transformative stuff is then the details. And that's hard to really just put out a blanket statement that, that applies to everybody. So I would maybe encourage you, invite you to, to ask these kind of questions as a way of thoughtfully reflecting on how you might clothe yourself with these, these virtues, with these character traits. Perhaps a question like this. What situation... What conversation, what relationship, what decision perhaps is coming your way this week? And what are things that you could do or say in word or deed that would bring to that relationship or conversation or decision compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, And then perhaps some real specific things can start to come to mind. And that magic mix of the specifics of our life and the transforming power of the Spirit, our imaginations start to be stirred up. And we start to go, okay, I know it's coming my way on Thursday. I know it might be coming down the pike on Saturday. And perhaps here's how I could clothe myself in preparation. Perhaps here's what it would look like to wear things like compassion or patience. Perhaps, perhaps I need to, to prepare myself to forgive. Perhaps I need to approach this in gratitude and thankfulness. I think it's not too unlike our, our open-door vision this year. I know maybe you thought I forgot because I haven't mentioned it in a few weeks. This past Easter, we, we, we laid out a vision for our church to be an open-door church and, and to challenge each of us to, to undertake these open-door actions, which we define just as an intentional act of love. It's bathed in prayer and cold and clothed in boldness that we take to deepen or extend relationships with those around us, opening doors into our community, opening doors to God for other people. And we had this goal that, that maybe after a year of this, even a small group like us would have a thousand stories we could tell about ways people opened doors for us and ways we were able to open doors for other people. It's this type of, I think, intentional, reflective action that Christians are called to in their lives. Just like sin so easily kills and kind of tangles and ensnares us. So I think it's, it's very hard for people to like trip into godliness, like just accidentally become holy one day. I think some of us maybe expect it to happen that way, but I'll tell you that's not been my experience and, and I've not met very many people like that who just kept on doing everything that they were always doing and then one day woke up, had a sore throat, didn't know if they were sick or not sick. Turns out they were godly just sanctified. 
Christ-like. Just happened. It's kind of stumbled into it. It's not, I don't think that's how it, how it really works most of the time. It takes time and patience, intentionality and effort. And this is, again, why we've got to forgive each other. Because we're all on this long journey of obedience and worship and faithfulness. So I encourage you to to ask these reflective questions that might prepare you to behave in intentional ways and, and then position yourself in the right environment where the word of Christ is dwelling among you, the peace of Christ is ruling, you're singing songs and, and admonishing and encouraging each other in a community. And that with that environment, with those behaviors, we might find this life expressed in us. And then as we wrap up this morning, as we prepare to move on through the book of Colossians, I invite you to take a first step this morning. One of the things we do at every one of our worship services is we gather at the table. It's sometimes called a practice called the Eucharist, which is just a Greek word for giving thanks. I mean, how crazy is this that the Christian life supposed to be one of thankfulness, centers itself in worship around a practice of thanksgiving? There's something you can do this morning here in the sanctuary at home to put on this new life, to give thanks to the Lord. And so just in a moment, we'll invite you to to take that first step or to continue to take steps as you follow after Christ